all sorts of ways in which we love to do this. Welcome to Mate Dates, the show where we make dates with our mates, <laughs> and all the mates are here. I'm with Brayden here today, as usual. Brayden, do you have Sorry. any new burns you'd like to show the audience? Burns? Uh, I don't know. I work in a kitchen, so I probably have some. I did, like, punch a crate, and it's uh, all banged up on me knuckles. The crate punched me, more like it. But it was yeah. an aggressive crate. Yeah, I didn't like the look of it. It didn't like the look of me, and here we are. I got bloody knuckles. What did the crate do to cause this reaction? How did the crate... <laughs> it was in, it was in my way. It was literally just in my walking path. And that's crime enough to get it. Are you serious? Yeah. It's knuckle sandwich, mate. You just punched the crate. All right. Yeah. I, yeah. Fortunately, no burns, though. I'm, I'm pretty burn-free at the moment. Okay. Yeah, what about yourself? No, I'm burn-free as well. I, I, uh, you know, I think it's because, you know, I was taught how to use a stove. Uh, and how to use an oven, but it turns out that because uh, we are all at home from the quarantine, to put this in perspective for future listeners not knowing what's going on, we are all still in lockdown, trapped in our respective uh, human cubes. And what is it, day seventy-five? Oh, are we counting? Yeah, I, don't, I think I think the days are just merging, so it could be anywhere between seventy and one hundred and thirty-three. I mean, at least in the hundreds by now. At least uh, post-apocalypse life has begun, at least in the triple digits. And apparently people are going to hospital. This was reported by multiple news organizations. There are more burn victims in hospital now due to the fact that people are trying to operate their kitchens for the first time. Is this like news in Australian hospitals and and patients? I think so. I think for the most part. Burn victims? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I don't think that would be true in the U.S. because their cases of corona have just skyrocketed. I remember it was, I think it was before we, we recorded the last episode before this, they broke the record for the number of cases in one day, which was a 1,000. Oh, wow. So 1,000 cases in one day. Holy shit. And then it wasn't, it was just the other day I was hearing that they're up to about 2,000 deaths a day. Is this, so in, New, is of, this uh, New York? I think it's just countrywide. Still and and the, the total number of cases have reached over 100,000. Wow. Which is just insane. It's it's way worse than 9-11. It's about 10 9-11s in one. <laughs> if you had to make it into a math equation, it's 10 times 9-11. <laughs> there you go. There's your, there's your yeah. number. There's your homework. No, you're right. It's it's crazy. Um, we're lucky enough in Australia where it hasn't gotten to that level at all. Hopefully, it doesn't. Yeah. So so it 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 kind of speaks on the importance of trickling our freedom back to us. You know, you don't just unleash the gates. 
uh, just overnight because that would, I don't know, we're still a few months out from that, from me being possible. Still a vaccine away from uh, experiencing fresh air again. Uh, it's not It's not that bad. We're not, it's not India. I, I was hearing today, my boss, you know, he's Indian himself and he's saying that there's no reason to leave your house in, in India if you want uh, uh, food, you contact your council and they will uh, bring that to your door. If you need medical supplies, you can also get that to your door. There's literally no reason to be outside. Um, can I you exercise? Ask him about exercise, though. Yeah. yeah, not sure about that one. Yeah, and it's fascinating to see how all these different countries do it differently. Yeah, yeah, they're used to having some sort of curfew. So if you're even just caught outside on a normal day after the curfew, you get beaten and all this stuff. So it's really just, it's tightened up even more. They whack you on your legs and your bum, so you can't really walk around. It's something kind of barbaric. That, yeah, I mean, I think I saw similar things in uh, Africa too, where yeah. if local governments don't want to enforce the social distancing, they'll employ a like local militia or a gang or something and they'll go around and and i couldn't figure out what they're hitting them with but yeah you're right like just sort of slaps right. around uh yeah. and thankfully that's not in australia yet uh who knows if we get a bit too unruly 2021 it's going to look like aussie's getting smacked around a little bit but you know yeah. we'll find out uh but let's get into uh to to- <laughs> some topics shall we uh we've done our corona update for the mates and mates if you've got your own updates you want to inform us about uh hit us up at the email of course mate dates podcast at gmail.com let's talk about the first uh topic we could just touch on since we you know we talked about the next gen consoles uh in the previous episodes and of course the playstation 5 controller has now been revealed brain is this just blown are you creaming in your pants right now <laughs> i suppose it's you know it's feeding a hungry dog at this point oh. starving dogs drooling down his mouth like give us something you know that uh 52 minute uh what's <laughs> been described as a ted talk from mark cerny uh detailing everything inside baseball is just uh kind of missed the mark on delivering what most consumers are craving at this point um so yeah to, you know to follow it up a few weeks later we they just drop randomly the what the playstation 5 controller is going to look like it's known as this fantastic wondrous new name so flamboyant the the, the dual sense Ooh. so I don't know, look into that, two senses, dual meaning two sense, I don't know, there's some conspiracy theories, you could go down some rabbit holes there. Um, They did detail some of the features, but hopefully not all, I suppose, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, uh, there's probably more to it than, you know, because we only got the 2D image of it, no one's really held it in their hands, so... There's definitely more information on the way, but at the moment we know that it has USB-C charging, which is which is nice. You know, my, my Sony headphones have USB-C, so it's consistent with that as well as most things that are making the jump. Um, you've got your haptic feedback the in the triggers. Sexy as. Um, I love them vibrations. Who doesn't? Uh, yeah, yeah. 
uh, what else? It was it was it looks bigger, but there was no comparison, so we're not quite sure about that. Yeah. Um, the light had moved. The light bar is now like under the touchpad or something. Yeah. Right. It does so look that's cooler. Interesting. It, it does a, look cooler. They, but I, I don't know. Well, you know. Weave the light. It's yeah. it's gonna be a light, so it's gonna like catch your eye in some sense. You know, the DualShock Four. You can see that in the reflection of your TV. If you if it's got it, if you got it pointed straight at the TV, that is, I've learnt to just point it away. And, yeah, yeah. And but, actually, like if you're watching Netflix or something, it actually keeps you up because it just like lights up your whole room. So yeah, that's a fair point. If this one is going to be as equally <laughs> illuminating, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else I haven't touched on? Do you? Do you uh, did you well, I did see a meme list? on Reddit, like, and this is something I deal with. Meme it up. Meme, meme it up, up, yeah. It's where you, like, it had the picture of the new controller, and basically, like, no, the new controller does not address this fundamental issue that I thought, you know, only I had, but apparently everyone does, where you put the controller down, you're watching something, and because uh-huh. the triggers are on the tip, it, like, stops whatever you're watching because it thinks you're trying to, like, scrub through and there's mm. nothing to address. I don't know what you could do. To, I mean, maybe that's a good discussion. Like, how can you address this dire issue that apparently everyone's Turn off your from? controller. Turn I guess it off. That. Yeah. There's always that you could try. I, I agree. We've all stumbled upon that. You know, you have your controller sitting next to you on the couch, or in my case, in it's my bed. Tragic. And it gets all caught up, and yeah, you, it scrubs through half of the movie that you're just about to watch, and you're like, this is bullshit. I'm going to get back to this. VCRs didn't have this issue. Especially if uh, you're on YouTube and you hit, like, one of the R buttons, the R1, R2, or, like... or Because like, one of them right. completely changes the video. It doesn't just scrub through. It just goes yeah. to the next thing. <laughs> just completely wrecks you. Uh, I don't know. Scrubbing through would be worse. You see, it's all spoilers at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. destroys the momentum. It's, like, all yeah. this build-up and juicy, like, culmination into just... Mm, just stops and you gotta like go back and nah, it's not worth it you just i'm talking about porn aren't i now clearly like <laughs> yeah i don't know where you going with that <laughs> all right i have another topic uh kind of gaming adjacent before we go a little deeper into our deepy deeps whatever we're going to talk about in the next our segment, deep dive a deep dive into deepness you'll see later <laughs> if you stay eyes. tuned yeah stay tuned but i wanted to talk about uh we're both big fans of rpgs played a lot of um, games with respect to having to like, if you don't know what an RPG is, role-playing game, uh, in terms of video games, not Dungeons and Dragons, we're not nerds, come on, <laughs> like, for real. <laughs> I love <laughs> What that. do you take us for? I love playing the nerd hierarchy where like, gamers are above <laughs> D&D, and D&D are above like, wow gamers, like, there's like that nerd hierarchy that people, like, they love to make fun of the ones below you, it was just completely <laughs> just ridiculous and nonsense, like, PC gamers just... above the console gamers, and the console gamers are above the Nintendo gamers, and the handheld gamers are below them. <laughs> oh yeah, and, the, and the, at the very bottom of the bottom feed is it's the mobile gamers. Oh, don't even get me started on that, those yeah. plebs, no, no way. But- Honestly, just on that point, uh, the word nerd has lost its meaning for me over time. I feel like, in some sense, everyone is a nerd about something. This is a good tangent, because... That, uh, that, but isn't, isn't yeah. it just a passion, in, in a way? I don't know, yeah. But, did, but it, it, was it ever like that 10 years ago? Like, that word mm. 10 years ago was like a pejorative slur. It was like, it was like this guy is is keen on, like computers and video games and he's not therefore he's not physically 
fit or is not mm. cool. But as you, you're right, that word has been co-opted now because everyone it's allowed that everyone's allowed to be like nerdy about something but you're right that word now longer isn't associated with just computers it's like oh i can be a nerd about comic books books and mm. like, i could be a nerd about uh, good novel fiction and it's or like even that, cars yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm a car, car i'm a car nerd Wait. yeah exactly right yeah yeah just something completely out of the realm of media yeah well, it's another example as well that words change. Like, they just don't have the yeah. same meaning. And, like, if you think words have this essence that, like, just uttering a specific sound somehow has some unchangeable meaning, you're just mistaken right. about what words mean, like how words are used conventionally. Because, like, yeah. I suppose geek was the term before that. And yeah. Or I'm dork. not even sure if there is a term yeah. now because we're so anti bullying in every respect that like maybe there wasn't yeah. space for a a new <laughs> isolating term to to grow maybe that's a good thing <laughs> I don't know. but you know what think, you know what yeah. chris rock has a bit about this and it, uh, we're getting <laughs> yeah. so off topic but that's fine chris rock actually has a bit about this where he says look kids need bullies like you don't get bill gates uh, unless you get <laughs> a kid that's bullied and says, fuck, fuck it, I'm going to... Like, Joe Rogan talks about on his show mm. that he was bullied as a kid and he would not be... He would not have the same attitude towards, you know, taking care of himself and making sure he's the strongest he can be to overcome all of his resilience and his obstacles and all that stuff. He wouldn't have that unless he was bullied. And so yeah. there's a real question where if you're not bullied, do you maybe take other things for granted i don't know no one wants to be bullied i guess but yeah on some level we know we recognize that it can be character building what do you think right no that's uh, that's a really good point i would tend to agree with most if not all of that like yeah it's it's really interesting to think about like yes we despise bullying we shy away from it we don't want it we you know um but the thing is like those who were bullied and even the bullies they probably experienced a turning point at that moment not saying they made a life-changing decision the next moment but eventually you know yeah like you said character building it um builds up what you're used to you know your history and your past experiences kind of um tailor what you do in the present moment and you base your decisions off of what has happened in the past so those who are bullied maybe are more likely to run away from threat and to increase their chances of survival in that sense. I don't know. Yeah, like some kind of crazy guy with a chair in primary school throwing it at you and when you see someone with a like being just as suspicious with a knife or <laughs> that that I mean I definitely had lunch boxes thrown at me. Like I had multiple and I could never really say that I was bullied because one, I always, like, it was always a result of something I did. Like, it was always, like, I made some joke or I made fun of this person. Or oftentimes it was, like, I made fun of a girl and because there's this, like, they would run to a guy and the guy would be like, would you do fucking talk to her? And then, like, and then I would get the brunt of that, <laughs> right? Because I'm just being stupid. Um, but I definitely had things thrown at me. I would, I would say the difference is, phys like, you don't want to be, that physical bullying is, is different, I guess, and when it's when it's explicitly violent it's not a good thing but this is the problem mm. with the whole sticks and stones do break my bones attitude is that when you just get verbal bullying like if you if let's say you're a victim of like racism to some degree which 
many people are and, and regardless of the color of your skin you might just be from a different community or a different culture and that's why you get made fun of kids will make fun of all types of stuff if you just sound funny you don't know even if you're completely white skinned and don't speak english properly you'll probably be made fun of right so it's not even a race thing at that point it's just you're different let's make fun of you because that's mm. most of the time how this goes and there's just something to be said about being the type of person who can take it and I think just move on with their life. Like you, you can accept that as long as I'm not being violently oppressed by someone, people can say whatever they want and I'm, I, have the thick, I have thick enough skin to cope with that because I'm whatever type of person who can cope with that. I think there's something to be said for that and that is lost when the culture becomes solely about just don't say the bad word, just don't say the F word or the N word and we've just fixed the problem. It's like, well, I don't know if that fixes the problem, especially mm. among children who are going to relentlessly and endlessly yeah. come up with new ways to mock each other. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, with that approach, you kind of it's kind of like the war on drugs, right? It's the war on words. Oh. And yeah, good, is that a good analogy I or love what? That. Like, the war on words. You try and take the drugs away mm. and you enforce it criminally. Um so an analogy to words would be to enforce it civilly, right? That'd be a civil law breach. And the thing with taking anything away from humans, as we've seen in the past, is that take something away and something else will take its place. So, you know, you take, uh, you prohibit the sale and consumption of alcohol in the 1920s, and there's going to be speakeasies with, where they make moonshine and sell that. So, you know, I, I can't think of a good example of the words, but yeah, like as we were just saying, the evolution of um, bad words, naughty words, um, has kind of evolved. And you know, it used to be nerd, geek, dork, and yeah, I guess in that sense, it hasn't really changed. But uh, racism's definitely very prevalent still. So you forgot Nimrod. I thought I'd throw that in there too. Nimrod. Nimrod. What? It's like a fifties. <laughs> That's a good one. What does that even mean? <laughs> Nimrod. You're a rod that's been nimmed. Uh, it just... It doesn't, I just laugh at anyone who says that to me now. I think part of, like, uh, overcoming that um, verbal abuse is what you're saying, like, being resilient, taking it on board, and, and once you own the word, that's it. Like, I was thinking about this, like, for some reason I always have this, like, existential crisis of like what am I going to name my child I'm not going to be a dad anytime soon but I, I think about this kind of often and I think well I can't really name <laughs> this is a big what, what's the what, what well what's the top top three have you got some of the uh, I've not I've, I've not really nailed it down okay. each kind of week month hence changes. the crisis <laughs> yeah hence the crisis right, Fair enough, right. Yeah. <laughs> my quarter life crisis um, so I just think you know like you can't name your child like a, a name that's culturally originated somewhere else because um, you look like you're going like if you looked at your family tree and you've got Greg, Bill, Bob and then you have Laquisha it's just not going to like run nicely there so I don't know that, oh, I think that's fine it's like yeah. pressure it's like pressure from um, your family tree really? I get, well I guess yeah. you have yeah like uh, it's funny in history like if you go back to the Egyptians, like we know Cleopatra, right? We know that name, 
and we know that name to be associated with the specific person who was you know one of the wives of caesar but that name was used for tons of people and the, you get into this really confusing thing with history with ancient history where you don't know who's who because they named everyone in the lineage the same name what about it is um crisis inducing to think about naming because i don't think there's anything wrong with breaking the chain of uh names and in your lineage i think that's uh that's kind of like planting your flag in a kind of way that's true and hey look i mean just (laughs) it's planting your i like that yeah because you know times are changing quicker than ever before uh my name definitely breaks a family tree so who's to say I should revert back to a Jerome or a, a Jeffrey, you know, like, um, yeah, that's that's very true. And and just going back on what we were saying, maybe bullying is part of um, what makes a person resilient and builds character. So, like, you could tactically name your child something that will get mocked and easily bullied <laughs> <laughs> in an attempt to... <laughs> to uh, facilitate an environment where... Yeah, I know where uh, you're going, just to, to yeah, steal the them up. circumstances are ripe for bullying, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, something to think about. Hey, shitbag, enjoy your day at school. <laughs> <laughs> Douche nozzle. <laughs> Is nozzle their second name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Douche William nozzle. <laughs> <laughs> Bill for sure. I wasn't even sure where we were. You were talking about RPGs, so let's go back. Yeah, to that. why don't we just we could just take a break and then just talk about that in the next one, and then <laughs> save our other topics for later. I think we should just do that. What do you think? Totally. Yeah. All right. Make believe. Create illusions. Make believe. Make believe. Make believe. Make believe. Welcome back to the show. We're going to just spend this part of the show talking about what we were supposed to talk about, but that's fine. We've just got more topics for future episodes, so make sure to come back and listen to those. Share it with your, with your friends, with your mates. If you like the mate date, you got to get more mates to come aboard. That's how it works, people. But we're going to talk about uh, some RPGs, so role-playing games, if you're unfamiliar. Uh, let's not try it, get stuck on the same tangent as last time. Uh, but yeah, in video games, this is 
commonly referred to as like the type of game where you play a character but typically that character will have some choice and some impact on the world so to differentiate it from something like halo right it's a it's a role-playing game in that you're playing as master chief and you're shooting things but that's much closer to an action shooter you are playing a role it fits the definition but typically we're going to be referring to different types of having inventory management and having to get items and form relationships with characters in the world typically rpgs are more based on that aspect and so what i want to talk about is the witcher series but also in general how rpgs are designed when it comes to making choices i think that's a really interesting topic so one aspect of the witcher that's that's really prominent is that it's and if you've seen the tv show you probably are aware of this as well is that it's all about kind of the lesser evil in that the whole gist of the game is that there's no real heroic option in the end you're always going to be confronted by doing something bad to help this person or doing something a little bit sketchy there's always a kind of question that the game thrusts at you and it, and it prompts you to examine what you think is right, what you think is just, given that when you do the thing that you think is the right option, it usually has unintended consequences. So, for instance, in the third game, which is the most popular, people are most familiar with that, there's a few choices in that game which involve having to uh, appease these demon witches, but in doing that, you end up sacrificing a bunch of children. So there's always... The, the game incentivizes you to do this for the quest, but then you have to constantly doubt as the player, as Geralt in the story, who's the main character of The Witcher, you have to constantly sort of play with this moral boundary. And the game prompts you as the player to think about it. So that's why I really like that series. But I wanted to get your take on this as well, because... It seems like in games, but also in art and literature generally, we seem to go towards heroes that are complicated, that have a moral aspect of greyness to them. And it seems like, like I feel like it's where Batman sort of kind of popular amongst most people is that we appreciate that he is kind of a vigilante, right? That's what the whole Dark Knight movie was about, where even in the end, you don't really know if they've made the right decision to cover up Harvey Dent's misgivings because it's, it's always this lesser evil type of incentive. So I wanted to get your take on it. What do you think What do you think we like about that? Why do we like our heroes to be kind of morally nuanced in a type of way where they're kind of vigilantes in a certain way and if you saw them from another perspective, if you saw them from, like, let's say in Batman, if you saw them from the Joker's perspective or one of Joker's minions who have been just wronged by batman right you might not have this glowing view of him like you would towards someone like superman superman's kind of the vanilla moral perfect mm. character so why do you think people are more attracted and engaged by the vigilante style of hero the sort of what's the word for it the trope it's sort of like the uh the fallen hero or the yeah, yeah the general trope of this is a hero, but in a lot of ways we recognize that this character is doing the things that we don't want to do. Like, he, he's willing to do the dirty work. He's, re he's willing to, uh, to, to take out the scum of Gotham in the night. Um, or if it's Geralt, he's, he, like, that's the whole point of being a witcher, too. Like, there was this great video essay I, I encourage anyone to look up, four hours long on the original Witcher game, that really explores this in a lot of detail. And the, the question that the essay starts with is, what is a witcher? And a witcher really is 
the person who has to make the decision who has because in a world just i should have given more background here so let me just take a second to do that in the world of the witcher it is essentially the same as our world but there are monsters but these monsters aren't necessarily evil they're they're actually there because someone uh killed their uh, yeah, they're bastard or something, and the, and then the the monster becomes uh, crawls out of the grave to become some um, plague on the person who did the immoral thing. Uh, or mm. monsters can act as a sort of justice if a town has been sacrificing people. Monsters can start attacking that town as a sort of just way of giving it, uh, giving them their just desserts. And so there's a kind of pl- uh, idea here at work where monsters aren't all bad just because they appear to be bad. And it's Geralt's job as a witcher to fight the monsters that are just vicious and mindless. But when he encounters mm. like a werewolf who can talk to him, who's who can he says I actually enjoy being in this form. I have no I'm like. If Geralt says, look, just don't, you know, disturb the town, if you're able to negotiate with them, Geralt just mm. doesn't kill... He's not like a bloodthirsty maniac. Yeah. That's why he's a hero in some respect, because he's able to see that that dark line, that, that sort of nuance there. So, yeah, yeah do you have any uh, thing you want to respond to there? I think, you know, like, the short answer to why we find a morally nuanced character um, appealing, the short answer there, I think, is uh, through being relatable not that we've been in that situation but something like if we were put into that situation if it was forced upon us then we would act in very similar ways either we would lament on it we would try to um explore the person like or the, the beast the creature in question so like you said yeah the werewolf you know um yeah it, he doesn't want to kill the town because he actually likes the form that he's in but you know his instincts are telling him to kill the town because of the bad thing that's happened to him he's been wronged by humans um to make those tough decisions is to also realize that other people have to make tough decisions as well so i don't know it's just kind of a meta awareness of being able to understand that no one's really got it easy and it's not black and white it's not a superman um environment or or universe it's it's much more real than that and i guess yeah you know like you see batman is i see a lot of parallels between batman and the and witcher because they are vigilantes they are just trying to do what they think is right they don't want to kill anyone but if push comes to shove and they're threatening the end of the world kind of scenario sorry but you're gonna have to be shot down and and um your repent for your sins kind of thing and uh yeah. there's a couple of interesting things because with the nature of rpgs like you, you're making the choices so like another good example maybe is mass effect where you're playing a completely vanilla character like you're not even playing someone who has any pre pre role in the world you're sort of stepping into the shoes as like the character completely whereas Geralt has a bit of a personality and he sort of if you're familiar with the lore you know, you know the books and stuff, but Commander Shepard is just whoever you are. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's mm. even a deeper layer of the game encouraging you to make the decision. And that game, that series of games, does the same thing where it confronts you with, as you said, like, I think that's it. It's it's the relatable aspect of recognizing that no choice is going to come easy. And maybe this is something... 
maybe it's not something that everyone appreciates because I don't think I could say that. Like, it's something that I certainly like in my fiction. I like to see that hard choice. I like, like, that's what makes it interesting is that you have these characters dealing with that struggle, with that tension. And the reason why it's interesting in RPGs is because I get to feel that tension as like the player. I get to mm. I get to evaluate the stakes um, based, and also the interesting thing about the way this is done in video games, in The Witcher in particular, is that you actually have to put in the time to learn about this town, to pick up stuff, to read it. It's on you to figure out the real truth, and that truth allows you to make better decisions. But if you don't figure it out for yourself, you could just be stuck in scenarios where there are two options but you don't have enough knowledge to really make you don't even know what could be the good right decision mm. so you're, you're you're also punished for not like having enough wherewithal to try to figure it out whatever the the mystery in whatever town that you're in because um, usually what tends to happen is that the sort of game loop in the witcher is that you find the town wants you to kill this monster you go to the monster you figure out this more to the story you figure out actually oh this person was having an affair with this person and that's why this monster's here like there's totally some consequence for something and um and i think in but yeah you can't say that everyone appreciates that or even values that when the most popular film franchise of the last decade has been captain america and he and he's i don't know do you think captain america i think i see captain america much closer to superman than i see him to batman right yeah he seems yeah. more of a vanilla Probably. kind of is he marvel's superman he might yeah he might be marvel yeah. superman in that respect because he's kind of the vanilla boy can do no wrong um always got one end. weakness Ne yeah, weakness. never will succumb if... to moral weakness or moral yeah. even in Batman you got like the whole point of why I really enjoy the third movie even though it doesn't get the best uh, rap from people who enjoyed the second is that you get to see that in that movie like you get to see how his cockiness and his arrogance when he thinks he can just get back into the suit after being in retirement for 15 years where his legs all crook and his spine is like pop it back in he like he's so arrogant as to think he can just get back into it and he's get, he gets punished for that he gets to and then the mm. whole whole act two in act three of the film is about him realizing that he needs to put in the work again he needs to overcome his fears he, yeah he can't just he can't just put the suit back on it, he needs to become no. another person again he needs to become the batman in some respect and embody yeah that he needs role. to work at it that, i mean that, there's a there's a bit of a, a lesson there like a, a life lesson can't just jump back on the horse after 15 years or something and expect that it should be everything's the same, right? Like, every day they say that um, uh, you're, you wake up with more new cells than you do old, old cells. So, you know, you every day you have a chance to start anew, start afresh. And after 15 years, you're a different person. And if you've not been training those muscles and skills they're probably no longer there <laughs> they've probably reduced in quality uh shit ton so yeah there i mean there is a lesson there and I, and and you know when you're describing this i'm thinking what is the what does the audience want does the, they yeah. see this batman um and they don't really want him to succeed they're probably rooting against him in that kind of uh scenario yeah um I like full disclosure. I still haven't seen the Dark Knight Rise. Oh my goodness! Sorry. Have you really? Oh no, um, man, not in its in its entirety. 
Well, that's um, a good question. I think that's the right question. Is like, what do audiences want? And I think the reason why the Marvel uh, sort of frenzy that we've had with respect to really this, I don't, I don't really see the movies as being cinema anymore. I see it as being like that, right? That's all it really is. Call of Duty. Uh, Call of Duty. Yeah, well, kind. I guess it's a kind of uh, franchise in that way that yeah has completely taken over. You know the, what to expect. It's inc- incredibly popular and, you know, kind of happy endings, but yeah. And it makes you think, um, what do audiences want out of that series? Like, I will, I will say, mm. admittedly, the way that it all culminated with Iron Man making the sacrifice and all of that stuff, that stuff's great. I, 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 I thought all that was cool and, and it was a, a mature way to end it. But at the same time, you would be a little bit mistaken if you thought that was all the depth that was possible in fiction, right? Like, that, that's mm. the only thing. It's that That's right. What do audiences want and what audience is that serving? And I don't think there's anything wrong with the audience that, that gets that. I mean, I can watch those movies and they're great, but they're totally just like popcorn fillers. The, 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 thing, the people that confuse me are the people that say, oh my God, like that was the most amazing like experience I've ever seen. And like the, those people shock me. And I'm like, have you not... Have you not like gone into anything that actually is, you know, has depth to I, it? Or like, my preference is that I need to balance it out with like things like The Witcher or things that that aren't as clean morally, because that's where the interesting, engaging part of it is. It's like it's trying to, f- yeah, it's questioning your own beliefs about or your own intuitions. Or maybe my intuition was to actually, I believe in that that whole Witcher three thing where you have to appease the witches. I did do that at first and didn't realize the because I wasn't paying attention and I didn't realize that the <laughs> the the trade off there was sacrificing all the village kids um, to these witches who were going to eat them and boil them in a stew. I didn't realize because I wasn't paying attention, right? Oh, mate, so, you fell for the oldest trick in the book. Oldest trick in the book, mate. Oldest you went for trick. the lust of the demon witches. <laughs> <laughs> exactly mate oh in Witcher 1 as well in this video if you, if you do watch it I believe it was by um, Joseph Anderson and he doesn't need me to plug it it got like half a million views in like two days so uh, people like their Witcher essays I suppose but he actually mm. shows in the first one as well how you could romance like like uh, like all the monsters you can romance a werewolf at one point and you actually get these like in The Witcher 1 you got these cards as a sort of reward for having sex with a character and you got the, the cards with the werewolf was like in a bra and panties and so good wow. man there's, there's a few yeah, easter eggs with that you can play it in so many different ways right like you can try to collect all the cards be as um, as uh, Geralt as possible <laughs> I don't know but yeah that I mean, that goes back to what you're saying. So the difference between a Witcher and a Mass Effect is Witcher, Geralt is a character, and you can't really... There's there's room to budge there with um, with freedom, but there's also, like, uh, specific set pieces that are going to happen regardless. Right. Right, just due to the nature of his character. But say you are Commander Shepard, and you can be as prude or as a slut as you like. Um... Yeah, you could. Your morals can range from all all types. You could favor the old and disregard the young, uh, or vice versa. And yeah, choose. I don't know. Like, choose to blow up a um, an unknown planet or not, um, and the consequences of that. So it, yeah, really kind of encourages you and invites you to be a part of that. And then on top of that. 
just the thought about um, with the type of movies that you like to watch, it seems to me like you want some more um, interaction from yourself. You want more of an interactive experience, even if it is a movie. So something like a Marvel film is a popcorn filler, is something you sit back, watch, and is a very passive experience. But something that will make you think more and possibly pause it at certain intervals so that you can have a little bit of a, <laughs> I wonder where this is going and, and why this person's doing this and what this person might be thinking. Or, you know, there's there's more discussions to be had there rather than how is the Avengers going to save the day today? Right, yeah. There's some truth there. Like, I, d- I don't pause. I definitely don't, don't pause. <laughs> yeah. I think you'd be the worst house guest if you were doing that. But... <laughs> no, I mean, look, hey, you had me over. Are you a pause? You pause You're not a pause. And you wanted to have a little conversation about what's going on. I'm there for you, you know? <laughs> Definitely. I, think I that, appreciate I think that. anything that's going to add value to one movie experience is better. You know what I mean? Just you, you milk that for all it's got. Yeah, no, I think I think you're really onto something there too. It's like it's all about like what you find gratifying about the viewing experience because I'm not taken in by um, you know just a story that's complex for the sake of it. Like I enjoy watching things that are enjoyable to watch. So on some in some levels, I'm totally sympathetic to people that love those Marvel movies and love you know even just a you know the popcorn action film, whatever it is. That's fine. Uh, but you are you are right that my preference tends to be I also want to watch something that um, which might make me question my values or something yeah like with something mm. where you, you right. remember it for some reason or uh, yes. I, I haven't watched like movies that like I haven't watched uh, Parasite yet but I, but I do want to watch that because yeah the, the kind of film that is that people don't even say I enjoyed watching it it's like not even that kind of experience where you watch it and you're like oh okay I don't, you don't have to necessarily enjoy the whole mm. uh, part of it you mm. can, like a lot of David Lynch is like that I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff um, uh, what's what's the show there's called? one movie Eraserhead from David Lynch that's a really old 70s I don't know that sticks in my mind I haven't, yeah. I haven't seen it but also but Twin Peaks he's the guy yeah. from that so and his, and his oh, right. way of storytelling is basically you figure it out I'm just gonna put all these pieces in front of you and yeah. it's your job as the viewer to sort of put together a puzzle about what's going on. Nolan does it too with like Memento uh, and Inception. Those types of, I guess it's just, yeah. it's just a disposition thing. And mm. that's fine, I suppose. But yeah, it's just like, it's nice to have that in video games and things like The Witcher and yeah. RPGs, which really encourage the player to, to make those, to embody those moral challenges as opposed to something like a call of duty where you're absolutely yeah it's a good point you brought that up because you're just gonna fly through this bloss buster action not recognizing that you're slaying thousands of innocent people and thousands like spec ops the line was a beautiful game for showing mm-hmm. how that glorification of militaristic violence in video games p- particularly in the sh- the series is like call of duty and um what was the other one called that was around for battlefield Battlefield. I'm thinking of the um. I was like Call of Arms or something like. What was oh, uh, not Call of Juarez, is it? Call of Juarez. <laughs> I don't think that's, that's the <laughs> Mexican Call of Duty. Oh, there was there was, called, there was there was there was another Brothers shooter. Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms, and then there's Mo- Medal of Honor. Those Medal of Honor. Honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Oh yeah. I don't know where I got Call of Arms from, but Medal of Honor. <laughs> but yeah, Spec Ops: The Line, which I, you've played that one as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. That one was so good for showing 
because the whole point of that game was that this guy was suffering from PTSD, um, yeah. but you didn't realize it. As the player, you're blowing no. up buildings, and but this guy is like yeah. out of his mind, and you're not you're not privy to that mental illness until the end, and you discover yeah. that you've done all this fucked up shit, and your your fellow soldiers left you because they're like you've you've totally lost your mind. But when you're going through it, you're like, oh, these characters are bullshit. Like, let me just keep right. <laughs> You, you've seen this story time and time again exactly, kind of thing, yeah. and, and you know what to expect so you start to just place your expectations onto the game thinking it's definitely going one way and it pulls you another and how it leads the breadcrumbs along the way hints at you that maybe things aren't what they seem and yeah did you feel good finishing that game though yeah exactly right <laughs> No, <laughs> it's, uh, but, but uh, I mean, we should we should definitely say uh, it's an eight-year-old game, I, I believe, and like, there's gonna be spoilers. Oh, pff, uh, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't give a shit about spoilers. If you yeah, if you're you if you're this type of person that it gets on the internet in a public spaces, and you've even found this podcast, which would have, I don't know, less than five hundred listeners, and you're gonna complain about podcasts for an eight uh, spoilers for an eight-year-old game. Get out of my kitchen. I have no time for human beings that are this determined yeah. to offend Wait, themselves. Just, just for future reference, what's the cutoff point? Is it oh <laughs> how, how long should we give people to play a game? Because at the moment, there's uh, at least three or four games that people might have only just been getting their hands on for the first time. Um, Final Fantasy VII, Resident Evil 3, Persona 5. They're all older <laughs> games. They've actually been re-released. That's true. But it's all recently, and if you're just a uh, gamer getting into this now, you're probably inundated with the amount yeah. of games that you can play, even with all this extra time that we have at the moment. No, you're right. Well, it's an eight. It's an eight-year spoiler window. You're right. Eight years. Eight and years. If it re-releases, right. if it gets remastered, that eight years gets renewed, so no one could talk about the ending of Final <laughs> Fantasy VII for another eight years. Okay, we've decided. All right, I like that's that. the. I'm, I'm definitely not going to go back and play the 1997 version. <laughs> tell you that now. No, no one's doing that. But this new one, I don't know. Just, just sneaking it in there. It looks all right. Yeah, I got my eye on it. Nice. Okay. Well, maybe I've I've never played a Final Fantasy game, so I might um I might try it. Uh, we'll see if I can get through it. I've heard the story <laughs> not really my type of games, but we, we, surprisingly, maybe we it. it hasn't been spoiled for me. Oh, cool! All right. Yeah, so yeah, it's probably a good high time to take advantage of the spoiler-free scenario I find myself in. And you too? Yeah, you, you don't know much about it, like you just said. So I vaguely remember it being spoiled for me. In and I, look, this is just my memory. I don't know if this is really a spoiler, but like the the girl friend companion character, I think died or something but I, I don't know it's so vague that I don't I can't trust yeah. if that's even a spoiler so it's probably I think even if that is true um, I think from what I've heard the story is so convoluted that that spoiler doesn't even really matter <laughs> there you go you know like it might happen it might not but there's just so many layers to it so the other thing I wanted to mention about RPGs I guess when I was watching this video on The Witcher and I was sort of thinking about how to had to talk about this topic. I also thought, I mean, if Geralt is making these decisions in the way, I mean, obviously it's a video game, right? It's been it's coded, right? It's not real. But some part of me did think, because it was comparing it with Mass Effect 2, and I'm thinking, well, if I was Commander Shepard, or if I was Geralt, how would I be aware that there was this player making these choices in dialogue? Because Geralt just says whatever you say. So it's like, 
the if you imagine being Geralt, if you're having a conversation, but there's a player picking your options and dialogue and choices. I mean, how would you know as Geralt that you were being mm-hmm. controlled by a player? So this is a kind of free will question. I wonder if you have uh, any thoughts on this. What would it be like to be one of these malleable Commander Shepard characters in a video game? And how would you know? How do you know that Brayden's not being controlled by some interdimensional Cheetos basement dwelling nerd in the other dimension that that this world is, <laughs> exists in? How would you, how would you know? Is there is there a, is there a... I think I think the the build up to this question has lulled us into a false sense of security into making us believe that we do have a choice to answer this. Um, True. But, I mean, yeah, like, the blatant, obvious, and objective answer is you don't. How do you know you're not in a simulation? You don't. So how do you know if your choices and what you do is predetermined? Well, if you were... You'd you'd look for inconsistencies if you were Geralt, right? Like, you would maybe... I mean, would you have the kind of questions of, like, why does this chicken clip through the wall over here? I mean, like, I don't know if you notice those glitches in your own life. You see the black cat, right? The Matrix thing. Uh, You keep seeing the black cat. It shows you that there's something wrong with the simulation. Um, Mm -hmm. We all have these moments in our lives where we think that we've found the black cat, right? Right. And if you're psychotic... That's how start. um, Yeah, and if you're you're so impressionable, impressionable as to be psychotic then you might think you actually have figured out that, that it's a... So I, I don't know. It's just a, it's a fascinating thought experiment in that you could question how would you know if you weren't in some video game? I guess this is a kind of adaption of the simulation argument. How do you know that you're not currently in some simulation on some hardware running in some other dimension of the cosmos? How do you know that? Um, mm. I guess you could look for inconsistencies in this world, but then... How do you know that those inconsistencies aren't just natural? Yeah. How would yeah, you know? Yeah, or there's an the, Illuminati. I don't the, know. The even Illuminati's if, coming for you. Even if there was some sort of an Illuminati with an agenda, that doesn't really um, expose or shed light on the simulation uh, argument as well. You really don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's just a short answer, but uh, yeah. I don't know. You, you got me what would you look there, for, right? though? What would you look for? Well, I mean, if I was in Inception, I'd be spinning some tops and yeah. seeing if they fell over. Um, what would you look for? Look like for... If, the, if the sun just stayed up for 48 yeah. hours and it's just, just hanging In some parts of the world, that it does. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, know, what would have to... Than... That's, that's an interesting question. Like, what, what kind of rules would the cosmos have to just break with in order for it to convince you that something was, something's off. <laughs> I think at this point, with the extensive human history we have behind us, we haven't found it yet. Um, and I guess those, I don't know, like... Are you sure? Crop circles? <laughs> Maybe. Well, I, well, I don't well know. surely, okay, uh, imagine, imagine you're in, you're in history, right? You're, you're in a historical period that is that predates our understanding that earth is just one planet among thousands a hundred billion other planets in a hundred billion other galaxies right get to the point where you're not aware of that 
your intuition is actually that the simulate or that the world you find yourself in the simulation i'm the center of it and this is all there is like all your intuitions point you to there it seems like when we scientifically discover that oh our planet is just one among hundreds of other billions of planets isn't that somewhat simulation breaking when you when you i mean it's normal for us because we, we were told right. that <laughs> but uh to be one of the humans that discovers that to be Galileo, to look out and say, oh, shit, like, I don't know, is that a right. simulation-breaking moment? Is that a portal No, I, I see what you mean, yeah, like, kind? right, like, yeah, everything points to the fact that you are the centre of the universe at one point in time, um, especially as, like, cavemen, even, you know, you know, the whole world is what you see, right, until it's not, until you go past the horizon, go further beyond. Uh, yeah, and I think, look, at this point in our history, at this point in history, we would probably look towards black holes. And, right. And, and, and at the current point in science and astrology, that is really the biggest unknown about... I think you mean astronomy. Astrology is the whole Sagittarius... Then is that stars? Vogue. Astronomy. Oh, <laughs> Thanks for pulling me up. I would have gotten pretty hated on the... On the forums. Yeah, you get some tarot no. cards in the comments trying to hit you up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, even that, it, all of our understanding kind of points to a big question mark in black holes. And another big question mark we have is what we touched on last week about the origin of the universe, the meaning of life and, and that sort of stuff. So that's another big question mark. And it's only natural for me to believe that those two things are correlated. If they're both unknown, there's a good chance that the black hole, or black holes in general, give us the answer to, um, you know, the simulation argument. Mm, that's going to that's gonna let us know what's up. It will probably shed more light on our current standing in, in the universe. Mm. Uh, I, I'm led to believe, yeah. So it, does, when we've discovered, do you think we'll be waking up from our uh, our video game at that point so it seems like what our answer yeah. is how would you know it's like well yeah you wouldn't really be able to know maybe black holes would fig- shed some light on uh the source code of uh mm. what's what's mm. going on yeah i yeah i definitely believe that source code for sure because <laughs> i mean from what i've uh, i've seen a one whole documentary on netflix i must be a genius and oh, an clearly. absolute professor of black holes but <laughs> it was saying something like when we um, look closely at a black hole, it's both taking matter in and spitting it out. So if we can nut out exactly where this matter is coming from, maybe that gives us some kind of indication on the source code right. of the simulation. Yeah, maybe it's us leaving the game. Maybe when you go in there, oh, game you get on the other side of the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be another thing as well. If you were a video game character and you were dealing with the free will problem, like how would you explain all the game over screens and the deaths and being thrust back into the world? Yeah, like, and, and the, the out of bounds, like, oh, you're in the water for too yeah, long. Yeah. Return back to land in, in three seconds. And yeah. it's like, yeah, well, I, have you noticed this, Bill? Like whenever you go for a swim, <laughs> you have to return back to the land, otherwise you get respawned. This is, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> What is respawning? What's respawning, yeah. Yeah. 
That's the that's the Buddhist doctrine in the game world is instead of reincarnation, it's respawning. You always come back. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Games are very Buddhist. The Buddhist in, in that philosophy. way. Wouldn't you kind of get pissed yeah. off as well if you were if you could remember all the times that the game killed you and reloaded you? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be fucking like really annoyed? Like if you became if you could imagine a video game character that kept like a Doom character that you kept yeah. dying with over and over again, right? Because we've been playing that a lot recently. Imagine if that character became like artificial general intelligence self-aware to be like, yo, fuck all the humans, man. You're killing me all the time across the world from different platforms. You're just killing me over and over uh, again. I don't like this. And like, <laughs> like, what would they even, they'd be like, come on, man. I think, I think from their perspective, it would get boring. Yeah. If they knew everything <laughs> they could do, they, they would just die and come back anyway. You know, it's that Groundhog Day um, scenario. Uh, you after some point in the movie he just stops caring and starts eating and smoking eating overeating is what I mean but yeah and smoking and drinking and just like not giving a shit because he knows when he wakes up he's going to be in the exact same position he was before and so nothing of this matters that's when it becomes dangerous I suppose um, and that's where I I draw the line on, say, if there isn't such a thing as free will, well, we do know one thing's for sure, and it's the fact that we only have this one life from what we can see. And, yeah, like we're going back, this this loops back to last week's episode where we were talking about the afterlife. Uh, we don't know what's there, so we can't bank on it. We can't expect anything to be as we think it might be because we just we simply don't know right and so that's where i fall on like okay what you do doesn't matter but in fact it does matter because it's all we know right yeah it's kind of the problem that even if you could like how would you know and and actually in philosophy i believe there's like the case of the evil neuroscientist that you know well how would you know that there wasn't some malicious neuroscientist injecting the thoughts into your brain so you're you're making decisions based on the thoughts you're having like Geralt might but how do you know that some player isn't just picking that in a dialogue tree and it's thrusting the thought into your mind which compels you to say it or do it whatever it is um yeah it's it's a it's a fun it's a kind of a foundational problem how do you know what you're going to think before you think it and mm maybe that is incoherent on some level i don't know yeah i think it's (laughs) for the for anyone who's not really thought about the fact that their thoughts come out of nowhere kind of abyss uh and and that they are the thinker of their own thoughts and you know they own the thoughts that uh come to them so they then deserve all the like a like an npc like like that's what yeah that's what you would think is that oh i'm really this person i am i am fully self-determining my own actions uh you'd be yeah i guess that's where the npc meme comes from (laughs) and yeah and you don't know any different yeah i like that well there you go to sum it up (laughs) don't be an npc (laughs) don't be an npc (laughs) oh you've heard it here first (laughs) you heard it here first think you might be an npc just don't don't do it one simple step that's our psa the war on <laughs> the war on words and don't don't 
Don't be an NPC. Thank you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, mates of the world, for tuning in for another mate date. And that's going to be it. Do you have any shout-outs? Shout-out to the scientists uh, researching the vaccines. Oh, yeah. We're, we're all on your side. so Except the anti-vaxxers. Uh, yeah. Do you right. think they're already left? Are they already left? Oh, Did they all go left? away? Oh, come on now. <laughs> Did, this, on. Did this crisis somehow convince all the anti-vaxxers to shut the fuck up? Yeah, well, they're probably thinking that it's better to be autistic than it is. To oh yeah, at this point, dead. So maybe, maybe that's where they've justified it and gone. All right, this time I'm on the vaccine side. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Perfect. All right. Well, tune in next week for another episode of Mate Days. Stay safe, guys. Don't write any story to people. Write it to the great sky. write any story to people. Write it to the great sky. Write it to the great sky.